Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 26 as we study the Isaac's road to becoming a man of God and how Isaac had to obey God to become a man of God as we study Isaac's life without his father Abraham. Before we begin our Bible teaching program here with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God, we'd like to encourage you to visit our websites, friendshipwithgod.org, and also israelrestoration.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org. Both websites have information about our Friendship with God radio Bible teaching program and also our Jewish evangelism outreach ministry with Israel Restoration Ministries with our summer blitz that's going on right now in 15 cities across the U.S. and Canada, reaching Jewish people with our 111 missionaries that are working full-time out on the streets, house-to-house, corner-to-corner, person-to-person, reaching lost Jewish people with the gospel and building discipleship-type relationships and bringing them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and also growing them in their friendship with God. If you'd like to be a part of that or learn more, you can again go to our website friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. You can also donate online, and you can also call us directly for more information at 1-800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. And once again, that's 800-247-3051 to learn more information about Friendship with God, the Bible teaching radio program with Tom Cantor, and Israel Restoration Ministries, our Jewish Evangelism Outreach Ministry. Again, 800-247-3051. Now here is Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis chapter 26 as we continue studying Isaac's road to becoming a man of God by obeying God. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 26. Okay, let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for your word. We depend on your word Lord, to guide us, we depend on your Spirit this morning to teach us. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 26, verse 1. And there's a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries... And I'll perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I'll make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him of his wife and said, She's my sister. For he feared to say she's my wife. Lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah's wife. Abimelech called Isaac, said, Behold, of a surety she's thy wife. How saidest thou, she's my sister? Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. Abimelech said, What's this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife, and thou shouldest brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You'll notice there that he said one of the people. He didn't say one of the men like I said, one of the people. That was a place also where Sodom and Gomorrah was, a place of homosexuality. Now, since we've entered into this chapter 26, we've been following Isaac, and we've seen how 
his life alone with God. That's what we've been looking at. Isaac's life alone with God. How did that develop? How did that come about? I mean, Isaac's father, Abraham, he was the icebreaker as far as the, having this life with God. You know, he was the one that was called the friend of God. That was a tough act for Isaac to follow. It wasn't easy. And so when we come to this chapter, the question's on the table, how did his life emerge with God? How, how did he you know, kind of transfer from being Abraham's son to being Isaac, the man of God? And so the answer to the question is, we're looking for this answer, and we look in verse 1, and it's not in verse 1. The name of God doesn't even appear in verse 1. But we really get to this in verse 2, where it says, And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Gave him command, don't go down to Egypt, but stay in this land. It's very easy for us when we read this chapter to just kind of read over these words. The Lord appeared to him and say, oh yeah, okay, so fine, you know, Lord appeared to him. So what did he say anyway? But we got to stop and really look at those words. The Lord appeared unto him. They're colossal words. They tell us that, you know, how did Isaac become a man of God? God in his person appeared to Isaac. And we know who that is. Only one person in the three of the Godhead who appears to man. That's God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When God wants to have a conversation with man, it's Him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that He has this conversation with man. That's who He is. You can say the Lord Jesus Christ is God's conversation with man. So when we read in verse 2, the Lord appeared unto Isaac, we know that's the Lord Jesus Christ who's appearing there. And what impresses us is when we read, you know, uh, the Lord appeared unto him. What impresses us with that statement is just how little Isaac had to do with that. I mean, when we read in verse 2, the Lord appeared to him, we're impressed that Isaac had nothing to do with the decision for God to appear to Isaac. This is totally God's decision to appear to Isaac. God appearing to Isaac was 100% God's decision. That's what Paul's emphasizing when he says in Romans 10, 6-7, the righteousness which is of faith, speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from heaven, from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. What Paul's saying there is, don't even begin to think in your heart that you can bring Christ down from heaven. That's crazy. That's crazy for anyone to think that they could go up to heaven and bring the Lord Jesus Christ down from heaven. That's just as crazy as anyone thinking that they could resurrect the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That's crazy. That's crazy to look at verse 2 in Genesis 26 and to think that Isaac went up to heaven and brought God down to appear to him. See, that's a decision that Jehovah Jesus made, and Isaac had nothing to do with it. And so when we think about how Isaac had nothing to do with the decision for God to appear to him in verse 2, then we look at verse 2, and we could look at it this way and say, and God decided on his own to come down and appear to Isaac, which he did. As a matter of fact, this is the fourth time in the book of Genesis that we read these words, and the Lord appeared unto. The first was in Genesis 12, 7, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. He memorialized it. Abraham memorialized that appearance in the altar. What was the setting of when God appeared to him? Abraham was in idolatry, and Abraham was called out of idolatry by God, and then he appears to him. 
And then the second time is in Genesis 17.1 where it says, And Abram Abraham was 90 years old and nine. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. What was the setting there when God appeared to Abram? That was right after Abraham sinned terribly by climbing into that bed of that handmaid named Hagar and having a baby with her instead of waiting to have a baby with his wife. That was that setting. And then the third was in Genesis 18.1 where it says, And the Lord appeared to him in the plains of Mamre as he sat in the tent in the heat of the day. That was right after God told Abraham in the previous chapter, 17, that he had done wrong in having Ishmael and that God was not going to honor Ishmael as the promised son. It wasn't going to be Ishmael. So in all three of those times, we don't see God looking down on Abraham and saying, Boy, look at that Abraham down there. He's pretty impressive. I think I'll go down and appear to him. Not at all. Well, he doesn't say to look down and say, you know, Abraham, he's very good. I want to go and appear to him. When we look at the times when God appeared to Abraham, we do not see anything in Abraham that would make God want to appear to Abraham. Because God's decision to appear to Abraham had nothing to do with Abraham's life of being so righteous and so good. And when we hold that thought in our minds that God decides on his own to make an overture to man without any consideration of man's goodness, then when we see, when we understand what Paul emphasizes in Romans 5, 7 through 8, when he says, for scarcely, scarcely, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. So then the obvious next part is that, but, and he says, but, you know, this is just absurd. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's only one explanation for why God came and died for us, why the Lord Jesus Christ came and died for us, and that's not found in man, only in God, in his love. See, what's being said here is that if a person were perfect, which there is nobody like that, you could hardly find a person to die for a perfect person. If a person were just pretty good, you wouldn't find anybody willing to do that. But God really shows amazing love when he decides to die for sinners. It's while we're going astray, while we're on our way. We're on our way away from God. We are in the state of Isaiah 53, 6. We're the sheep. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's our position. We're just going astray on these hilltops there like sheep. During that time, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the road for Isaac in becoming a man of God, starts with God, in verse 2, with the words, and the Lord appeared unto him. And the road for Isaac becoming a man of God continues with those same words in verse 24, and the Lord appeared unto him. And what's important to see in these two verses, verses 2, where the Lord appeared to him, and verse 24, where the Lord appeared to him, is that in both cases, when the Lord appeared to Isaac, God told Isaac he had to do something. See, in the case of verse 2, God appears to Isaac and he tells him, stay right where you are. Don't go down to Egypt, just live there. That's why verse 6 is so vitally important to see it in the part of verse 2 where it says in verse 6, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. See, verse 2, God makes the overture to Isaac, appears to him, and then he tells him to stay in Gerar, and then he leaves the decision to Isaac. This is Isaac now. Isaac is either going to obey or not going to obey. And verse 6 is Isaac's decision to obey God. See, there's no road for Isaac to become a man of God unless Isaac obeys God. 
And in verse 24, God made another overture toward Isaac and gave him a command, don't be afraid and don't run away like you have been in the past from all these people who are stealing your wells. Verse 25, we find that Isaac renounces his fear and openly builds this altar to God and pitches his tent there. That was, again, no road going for Isaac to become a man of God unless Isaac obeys God. And what we see is this pattern, this pattern of Isaac became a man of God because he, because he responded to God's overture in obedience. And that's true for anyone. Anyone who's going to become a man of God has to respond to God with obedience. God makes an overture, leaves it up to man to respond. The greatest overture that God made to man was when he came and died for man's sins, and then he told everyone that you have to believe and trust in him as the Savior. And then he leaves it up to man. You make your decision now. That's totally your decision. You respond, you believe, you trust, you obey the Savior. And then if they do, they become a a man of God. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. All of Tom Cantor's teaching messages are available for free at friendshipwithgod.org. You can listen to them or download them again at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor also has resources that are available at our website with his online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. He also is the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, the original Creation Museum, and this online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org will help you to grow your friendship with God, learning about creation from a biblical perspective, as well as other resources that will help you grow your friendship with God and knowledge of science and the Bible. So for these thousands of resources that are available directly for you, go to friendshipwithgod.org, click on Tom Cantor Materials, or go to creationsd.org. When we read on how the Lord appeared to Isaac, it makes us think of that great time when the Lord appeared to those two right after his resurrection. You know, I'm talking about the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, and 15 through 32, it's so interesting what happened there and how he appeared. And it says in those verses, Luke 24, 15, it reads like this. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Let me just read that again. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and here's the word I want you to catch, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted, we trusted, they said. We trusted it had been him which should have redeemed Israel. But beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, 
which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went unto the sepulcher and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he said unto them, it's like, you know, it had reached the boiling point. (laughs) He said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village, whither they went, and made as though they would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, the day is far spent. He went into tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? The wonder of the Lord appearing to these people, these two is, is really emphasized in that word I try to emphasize, is himself. Verse 15, Luke 24, 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. That's a great verse. It's a great word, himself. It's a great verse for us to claim. We can get alone in our time alone with God in the morning, and we pray to the Lord. We say, Lord, will you yourself come near and commune with my thoughts? That's a great prayer. That's a great desire for devotion times. Lord, will you yourself just come and dwell with what I'm thinking about? And it was amazing. They didn't know that the Lord was with them. And he asked the question, why didn't they know? Because later on it says then they knew, but they didn't know. And the question is, why didn't they know? And the explanation of why they didn't know is given by one word in the 16th verse where he says, it says, but their eyes were holden, that's the word. Their eyes were holden that they should not know him. That one word explains why they didn't know him. Holden is the Greek word krateo, and it's used to describe what Herod did to John the Baptist in Matthew 14, 3, where it says, for Herod had laid hold, Crateo, on John and bound him and put him in prison. Now, we see the, the meaning of the word. It means arrest, to hold back, to retain. So what we learn here is that they didn't know who the Lord Jesus was because their eyes were held back. It's like their eyes wanted to, but they were arrested back. And you say, well, why? I mean, they wanted to know. Their eyes wanted to go forward. What was holding them back? It's very simple. How come they didn't know that? It's the same question today. How come a person's eyes are held back? They can't see the Lord Jesus Christ as God. They can't see him as Savior. Why? Unbelief. That's the word. Unbelief. That's the explanation. That's the reason. Unbelief holds back. Pride holds back. In Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Why? Pride. In Daniel 5.20, speaking of the king, it says, when his heart was lifted up, his mind was hardened in pride. See, the heart was lifted up, the mind was hardened, no longer receptive. See, in Hosea 7.10, the pride of Israel testifieth to his face. They do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Why? Pride, hardening pride, holding back pride. As a matter of fact, pride is listed as one of the evil things 
that come out of the heart of man that defile the man in Mark 7, 20 through 23, where the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, that which cometh out of man, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed, rise up, evil thoughts. Let's get the list. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, and pride, foolishness, and all these evil things, evil things come from within and defile the man. She's talking about pride as listed with all those things. You know, we don't think of pride that way. We use that term, so I said, well, I'm proud of my son. You know, I'm proud of my son. I'm proud of him. Well, no, God says, evil things. He says, these are evil things. You list them with murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, covetousness. List them right in there. Pride. So as they were talking along the way there, the Lord asked them, you know, what are you talking about? And there was one thing that was very obvious as they were talking, and he calls it out. And he says that, you know, you're talking about these things, but something's very obvious, and that is you are very sad. What manner of communication, verse 17 of Luke 24, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? There's one thing that'll make a Christian sad, unbelief. Unbelief will make a Christian sad. God has given every reason for us to be happy. And why, and why would there be sadness? You know, one of the shortest verses in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It just says, rejoice evermore. That's the whole verse. And God has given us precious promises for this life, for the one to come. He's lavished us with these promises, given every reason to rejoice evermore. But unbelief in those promises makes sad. Makes sad. And their unbelief came out and how they spoke about the Lord Jesus. And I was trying to emphasize that in verse 19 when he said, and he said unto them, what things, and they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed word before God and all the people. See, they, he didn't say he is a prophet. They said he was. In other words, he's dead. He's no more. He's gone. See, they refused to believe. They refused to believe the report of the women. You know, you can hear them saying, I'm not going to get any theology. No woman's going to teach me theology. They refused to believe the report of the women and others in verses 23 to 24 when they said, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. They found not his body. They came saying they'd seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. And then went on to say, and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, because they didn't believe the women, and found it even as the women had said, but him they saw not. See, they let their unbelief hold back their eyes from seeing the Lord Jesus as the Redeemer, they let their unbelief hold back their heart, hold their heart that wanted to believe because they said in verse 21, we trusted that it had been him which should have delivered Israel. And now it's the third day. And they let their unbelief hold them back from believing the testimony of the women who went and saw the empty tomb, saw the angels, heard them tell them that he was alive. The unbelief held back their heart, held back their eyes from believing when other men went there and confirmed that the tomb was empty. And so when he hears all this, the Lord hears all this and says, oh, this, you know, you trusted, you wanted to believe, you didn't believe the women, you didn't believe the men, then it's over the top. And he just rebukes them and he says, you are fools and you're slow of heart because they didn't believe that he was risen from the dead. Now, when Thomas did not believe, 
Okay, remember in John 20, 25, it says the other disciples said to him, we've seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails, thrust my hand to his side, I will not believe. So what did Thomas do? Let me put it this way. What did the Lord Jesus do to make Thomas believe in the resurrection? But he did. That's it, Bill. Mm -hmm. Exactly. He saith in verse 27, he saith to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, Behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, be not faithless, but believing. That was how he convinced Thomas of the resurrection. But these were also an unbelief of the resurrection, and they're on the road there. And so did he do that? Did he say, well, look at my hands and put your hand in my side? Is that what he did? No, he didn't do that. What did he do? He taught them what? He taught them the scriptures. He taught them the scriptures. He didn't show them his hands and his side. He showed them the scriptures. A great way to start out a Monday by studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, if you'd like to support Friendship with God, this Bible teaching radio program, you can do so by making an online donation at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. And visit our website to get more information and materials there about Tom Cantor and our ministry. You can also call to support us at one 800 247 3051. That's 800-247-3051. Once again, 800-247-3051. Remember, any donation of any amount is tax deductible, 100%, and none of it goes towards administration costs. So you can support Friendship with God and also Jewish evangelism through Israel Restoration Ministries and our summer blitz that's going on right now in 15 cities, Jewish cities, with 111 missionaries. If you'd like to support that, 100% tax deductible, you can by going to israelrestoration.org or calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow.